Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. So we're going to talk about uh, moms for a little bit today. Um, we're going to talk about how to honor your mother. Uh, if we were all gathered here as a church and everybody was sort of uh, in the congregation together, I would get you to please stand up if you have a mother, and uh, you would be identified as the person for whom this sermon to whom this sermon is directed. Uh, so that would be all of us. Uh, we have uh, all of us have had mothers. Uh, lots of interesting journeys uh, with our mothers, but uh, we want to talk about how and why uh, we want to honor them and what this is really all about. Um, the average mom in North America uh, will have an average of $180 spent on her on Mother's Day, which is uh, which is quite substantial. Uh, sorry, Anna, uh, your boys may have brought the average down, uh, but uh, we uh, do definitely appreciate you and, uh, and we love you. We love our moms. Like there's something in us that has, uh, for the most part, this great appreciation. Uh, it's become a massive commercial holiday. I was trying to get into the grocery store yesterday and uh, partly it's the lockdown and everything else but really long lines that I'm guessing were made up of people who were anxious to go and get a basket of flowers or to go pick something up at the grocery store to bless their moms. Um, But Mother's Day didn't begin as a commercial holiday. That's not how it started. It actually began as a church service. It actually began as a Christian thing. 107 years ago, a woman named Anna Jarvis lobbied her church to have a service of worship uh, to celebrate moms. Uh, She was actually not a mother herself and didn't have children, uh, didn't ever marry, but her mom had passed away and uh, she had had an enormous appreciation for her mom. And uh, coming out of that, coming out of two years of sort of grieving the loss for mom and all of that, she had grown in an understanding of the role of moms and an appreciation for them and began to lobby her church to have a celebration uh, dedicated to honoring moms. As it says in the scriptures, uh, you want to honor our mothers and fathers. Um, And so the first Mother's Day actually occurred in 1907 at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Grafton, West Virginia. And by 1914, that idea had been uh, catching on and had interest in it spreading uh, all around the United States to the point where by 1914, uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt declared Mother's Day a national holiday. And since that time, it's grown, of course, into the second largest commercial holiday in North America uh, immediately after Christmas, if you didn't know that. That's uh, quite amazing. Um, But Anna Jarvis was not happy with this trajectory towards commercialism. Uh, She protested uh, (laughs) the gouging of floral companies, uh, the the price hikes of flowers around Mother's Day. She protested. She was actually arrested outside of a florist company uh, for protesting this and creating a public disturbance. Like She became like the Mother's Day hater because she hated what it had come into. She was protesting chocolate companies and, and all of this. Like She was this total activist personality. She wrote an angry letter, which is still preserved, to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, asking her to stop promoting the holiday. Eleanor Roosevelt was using the holiday to to promote awareness of some children's uh, health issues, I believe it was. And uh, and Anne Jarvis thought this was an offense, because for her, Mother's Day was actually a spiritual thing. For her, Mother's Day was actually a a biblical thing. And in her writing, uh, 
quoted uh, in a number of different places. Uh, she quoted what is our text for the day, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 1 to 3, uh, which reads, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you. And that life, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Anna Jarvis, uh, as I think the scriptures say, was convinced that there is a spiritual connection of some kind between honoring your parents and actually thriving as a person and actually thriving as a society. She believed that this commandment of God wasn't just an arbitrary rule. She believed that it had something uh, important about it that was actually going to be transformative in the world. And so we just want to talk about that. Uh, first, I want us to notice that uh, it's a commandment that's given to us personally honor the Lord. And in the Hebrew, uh, we, it's like you, Aaron Summick, you need to honor your mother and your father. But then it says, so that it may go well with you, a plural in the Hebrew, it might go well with all of you. It might go well with your uh, community. It might go well with your nation. It might go well with your society. And that all y'all might enjoy long life on the earth. So how we act as individuals towards our moms uh, is going to have an impact on uh, not just ourselves, not just our relationships with our mothers, but according to what the scriptures are saying here, some sort of impact uh, on our culture. We're going to talk a little bit about how that works. But first, I want to talk about what the uh, word honor actually means. Uh, in the Hebrew, uh, where it comes from, the commandment, part of the great uh, Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, chapter 11, it says this, you know, honor your father and mother so you will live long in the land. Um, but that word honor is a word chabed, uh, which means to give weight to. It means to add weight to your parents. Now, you don't want to go up to your mom and say, Mom, I just want you to know that I have noticed that you have way more weight than I thought you had before. That's not the kind of honoring that your mother, I think, wants to hear from you. But what it does mean is that you are to look at your mom, you're to look at who she is, and you're supposed to consider that she has a bigger place than you have considered she had before. That you are to consider something about who she is as to be more relevant to you than you had thought it was before. You are to give her credit for things that you weren't able to give her credit to before. You're to say things about her that are good that you weren't able to say before. Um, that is the spirit of what it is to honor, is to give weight uh, to somebody or something uh, in your life. And I think honoring our parents, when we do that, when we give weight in that way, and we know our parents, of course, aren't perfect, and it's not always easy for us, especially when we're teenagers, to see the awesome things about our moms. But uh, there's something beautiful that happens when we begin to do that. And I'm just going to share a little bit about what how, how I think that process works. Uh, and honor our, our parents, the following process, I think, takes place. It kind of works like this. Um, one, we acknowledge and celebrate godliness in them. So we all can acknowledge that our parents aren't perfect. We can acknowledge the flaws in them. We can see those things there, and we all have pains from our lives with our parents. But in honoring our parents, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to notice and honor the good and godly things in them, the things in your parents that were a gift to you uh, from God. 
And in order for us to do that, that requires humility. That requires us to uh, lower ourselves, to observe something good and something beautiful in another human being, and to say that that is a good thing beyond just noticing what is always good about ourselves all the time. It requires otherness. It requires humility. And when we're humble, we become open. So when we honor somebody, when we add weight to somebody, uh, we become that thing that we honor. And I want to, we're just going to explain that for a couple of minutes, but it, it's so true that if you honor violence, you would become a person who becomes more violent. If you honor peace, you become a person who is more peaceful. If you honor anger and rage and deception, you know, some of what we see in media and watch all the time, uh, where movies are constantly uh, filled with sneakiness and deception, and we honor that sneakiness and deception, we could become people that are more sneaky and deceptive. So we want to be people that honor things that are good and godly and to not honor things that aren't. Um, so when we think about our parents, when we in our hurt or in our pride uh, focus or give attention to or give additional weight to beyond just the reality of those circumstances to say the failings of our moms, we actually end up reinforcing those same behaviors in ourselves. Um, we are, cause what we're actually doing is we're actually giving ourselves honor and honoring the opposite of the negative thing we see in our parents in ourselves. So if your mom is a person who is somebody who wrestles with anger, you could be saying, I'm so frustrated and mean with the anger of my mom. And that's sort of, that's what it sounds like you're saying. But what you're really saying is, man, I'm just not like that. I'm so much better. And when we take on that self-glorification and that self-giving honor, and we raise ourselves unduly above another person, it actually almost always, for us as humans, turns itself backwards. And we almost always become that thing that we're actually uh, frustrated about in the life of another person. Now, we don't want to live with our heads in the sand. sand. Again, we know that our parents have problems. We know that our parents aren't perfect. We want to acknowledge that those things are there, but we don't want to give those things weight. We don't want to give those things honor. We don't want to give those things a big place in our lives uh, because what it ends up always doing is it turning itself backwards and we become that thing that we can't forgive in another person. Um, and we see that story all the time. We see somebody who is maybe uh, abused can become an abuser. We see somebody who has an addiction, whose parent has an addiction, uh, can become somebody with an addictive personality because we see something uh, going on there that's passed in that way. Um, so, uh, we, if we're bitter and angry, uh, we elevate and glory those flaws and we become people who are ourselves uh, more deeply embittered. And so we want to uh, be people who actually do the opposite. When we humble ourselves uh, to acknowledge and celebrate what godliness and what goodness that we can see that's a gift from God in our parents, uh, we honor them in a way that humbles us. And that humility produces an openness in us uh, that is transformative. It transforms us. The godly thing that we see in our parents, if we honor it, we elevate it, uh, we give it weight, it ends up impacting us and impacting our own lives in a way that we take on that godly character. We become what we honor. 
So again, we're not talking about putting our heads in the sands or not acknowledging the faults of those around us, but we're looking at giving weight in a way that is transformative. And I think that's what the scripture is getting at, because this is how the process continues. Uh, so we acknowledge, we celebrate, uh, we, which requires humility. We sort of become what we honor in the others. We lift that up, we celebrate it, we say it has value. And when we say something has value, we take it on and we become that good thing. Uh, that godliness, uh, it turns out, to be blessing, because when we live out our lives, in general, I mean, without a perfect formula, the goodness that uh, we do, the wise ways in which we live, generally produce good fruit. And then when we produce good fruit, our children uh, have more to celebrate. They have more to honor. It's easier for them to see goodness and godliness in us than it was for us to maybe even see in our own parents. And so that blessing just multiplies from generation to generation to generation. And this is God's plan uh, for uh, the people of Israel, that they would be a people, that's why he put this in the, the Ten Commandments, that they would be a people who would be consistently and constantly over time, simply becoming better by honoring the godliness in their forebears, the godliness in their parents. And so, as a society growing and becoming continually more healthy. So, what we want to do uh, with the next few moments of this message is just to look at a couple of moms in the Bible, look at their stories, and just, and, and it could be any one of a number of different moms. There's so many great stories in the Bible, um, but we're just going to look at a couple of them. We're going to look at Sarah, and we're going to look at Yochebed, and we're going to say, how do we see godliness in the lives of these people? How do we honor it? And how do we see that working uh, to transform us? Now, we could do all kinds of different people. We could do Eve, Sarah, Rebecca, uh, Hannah, uh, Bathsheba, Elizabeth, Mary. There's all kinds of good stories of uh, moms in the Bible, all kinds of difficult stories. Uh, the story of Sarah has some sin in it. The story of Bathsheba has some sin in it. There's challenge there. It's one of the beautiful things about the scriptures is it doesn't sort of uh, sugarcoat the heroes. It doesn't kind of whitewash them or uh, sort of clean them up and polish them up and just make them sort of these superhuman, perfect people. We see it's possible through the scriptures to honor imperfect people. Uh, we hope to be honored ourselves uh, as imperfect people. We know that the Lord looks after that and looks after us. Um, but the idea idea is that we want to see just some sort of universally beautiful things that we could say is generally in most mothers as sort of displayed through the scriptures to help you maybe just for a moment see something great in your mom or appreciate something more that you haven't seen before. So we're going to look at Sarah first. Um, Sarah uh, has an amazing story. Uh, she's Abraham's wife. She was 90 years old at the time Isaac was born. Abraham was 100. Um, she celebrated this before God by saying, oh, as an amazing, I've born him a son in his old age, like she was some spring chicken. Uh, but she's, she's 90 years old. It's an incredible story of God promising them uh, that they would have a child, God promising them that they would have a future together, and them doubting and wrestling and going back and forth. We talked a number of months ago about the story of Abraham and Sarah. But when she comes to the point of actually uh, having Isaac and actually being able to look back at it and celebrate it, she says this, she says, God has brought brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And that's kind of funny because before she kind of mockingly said, ah, this will never happen and laughed that way. But now that it's happened, she's laughing with joy. Uh, everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I've borne him 
a child in his old age. And what I want us to see in that is that Sarah, like many mothers in many ways, was a woman who waited, was a woman who ultimately learned patience. So that's the characteristic of Sarah that we just want to honor and that we want to celebrate. And I want to show you how you can see that and you can celebrate it in some of your own moms. Uh, some of you have moms who uh, waited through adoption processes. Some of you had moms who waited a long time to conceive. Every mom who's delivered a child felt like the nine months of waiting for you to come was an interminably long time. It was a terrible long time and they wanted you to come out much sooner. Um, those months of pregnancy. Uh, but after you were born, there was lots of other waiting. Your mom waited up late nights for you to nurse. She waited for you to learn to be potty trained. Uh, some children had uh, great struggles with that. Uh, she waited for you outside your school. She waited for you at soccer practice. She waited for you at dentist appointments. No matter who your mom was, by the nature of you being an infant that she was required to care for, you kept her waiting. She had that beautiful thing developed inside of her of patience. And so we see that, uh, we see that ability and we want to notice it and notice that it's not just something that your mother walked in and, and had to learn to walk through, but it's something that we actually see also in the heart of God. God describes himself like this, uh, waiting for his people to uh, repent actually in this instance. He says this, I have kept silent for a long time. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now, like a woman in labor, I will groan, I will both gasp and pant. And God describes himself in this moment of waiting, in this sort of moment of intensity coming up to uh, a moment when the good thing that he's calling out for will ultimately happen. But we see incredible patience in the heart of the Lord. So when we honor that thing in our moms and we acknowledge that they have waited for us, that they have been patient, uh, we honor and see a good thing that's in the heart of the Lord. And we know that's something that he wants for us. In Ephesians 4, 2, it says this for us, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another in love. And so we see patience in the heart of Sarah. Uh, we see patience in the heart of God. And as we honor that, we want to see patience develop in our own hearts. I want to show you this in the story of Hilchabed as well. In the, in the Exodus, uh, this is an incredibly challenging time in the life of Hebrew people. They are all slaves in Egypt at this point in their story. Uh, the, the Pharaoh has said, wow, the people of, of Israel, like the, the Hebrews, they're multiplying. They're multiplying far too fast. Eventually, they're going to rebel. Eventually, they're going to overthrow us. They're going to cause trouble. So, the solution to this is that we're just going to start killing uh, some of the male children when they're born. And so, the, the Pharaoh, the leadership instructed midwives to actually kill uh, these infant boys when they were born and to let the girls live. Uh, the midwives refused to do this, of course, um, and, uh, and God blessed them. But when the Pharaoh saw that it was happening, that lots of Hebrew baby boys were still being born, he basically said to soldiers, go find them. When you hear that baby boy is born, go and kill that boy. 
And Moses was baby boy born in that time, the famous prophet, the famous deliverer of the people Israel. And his mom, Yochebed, uh, protected him. It says this, when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. She protected him. She sheltered him. She did everything that she could to save him and to preserve his life. And so we want to honor our mothers who, whether they were perfect mothers or not, to some degree protected us. Um, We want to honor that. Your mom protected you from the cold. She protected you from hunger. She protected you from strangers. She protected you from animals. Uh, I remember my mom stepping between me and this barking dog once. My mom was terrified of dogs, but she much preferred the idea of this dog biting her than she wanted that dog to bite me in spite of her own fears. Um, I remember the fierceness of her yelling at me from the deck. I was ready to jump. I climbed up on the roof and made a little pile of snow to jump into, a little pile of snow that could in no way have should be from breaking my legs and I was ready to jump and I remember her fierce protective spirit shouting at me to get down off of the roof. Um, I remember the fierce protection of my mom in the spanking that I got when I read my, rode my new bike as a four-year-old out on the street and had been told not to. I felt the fierce protectiveness of my mom on my butt. Uh, she loved me fiercely. She protected me fiercely uh, from myself. Uh, the image you see on the screen there is the little house that I grew up in in Aswa, Saskatchewan. And I remember uh, one time my mother and I had had a fight. I can't remember what it was about. We were arguing some early morning and I stomped off to my room. I got on my clothes and I climbed out this little window. I remember hanging from the sill and dropping down into the hedges and uh, well like an idiot the place I decided to run away to was to go to school uh, so that was that's kind of lame runaway I don't know you should run away somewhere cool if you're gonna run away don't run away and go to school uh, but I remember coming back into the house after that day of school my mom would of course track me down but the storm clouds when I walked in the house and I remember in that moment being really worried uh, that I that I had uh, sort of hurt her heart that I'd broken relationship like I'd had some time to think about it Uh, those, that was what I was worried about, but what was in the heart of my mom was entirely different. She was angry because she didn't know that I was safe. I was gone and she had a period of time where she didn't know where I was. Uh, she was a a fierce person. She was uh, sometimes angry. She sometimes controlled. You know, she was a, a challenging person. I could look at all those different things about my mom, but I can be a hundred percent certain that she had a passion to protect me. And I can honor that. I can appreciate that incredible way she had of, of loving me in so many other ways. She was a wonderful, wonderful mother. We see this protective spirit in Hosea 13, uh, chapter 8. And this is God describing himself and his posture towards somebody who wants to harm his people. Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Oh, gentle Jesus. That doesn't sound like sweet gentle Jesus. I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. A wild animal will tear them apart. And we see God as somebody 
who loves his people. We see this imagery and all of the shepherding imagery, uh, God's desire to protect his sheep from uh, wolves, to protect his sheep from lions. We see this incredible, uh, passionate, protective heart of God. And then as we honor that in our mothers, uh, that protective spirit builds in a godly way inside of us. And we come to the place of being who God has called us to be, those who understand love in this way. Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. That we would be just like my mom, scared of dogs, but stepping in front of them to protect uh, her little child. We honor that protective heart of God. We become what we honor. And so we want to just ask this question, how did Jesus honor his mom? How did Jesus honor his mother? And uh, we want to just look uh, at the story of Mary and just capture a few moments. There's this one uh, beautiful moment when Jesus was a teen, basically. He had, they'd gone to Jerusalem for a festival, and Jesus, uh, feeling passionate about his calling and growing in his understanding, found himself in the temple uh, teaching uh, the teachers. Uh, while his mother didn't know what was going on, didn't know where he was, was uh, looking all over the place for him. And she says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Um, and Jesus responded to this concern, this maybe protective heart of his mom, uh, this desire that she had to see that he was safe and he just responded and he gave honor and he gave weight to that, though he didn't need to. He was Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, creator of the universe, fully authorized to be speaking and teaching in the temple, but to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus went with his mom back to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents. And her mother just sort of quietly treasured this all in her heart. And we get to, to hear the story now on the other side. Uh, later we have Jesus, his ministry is growing. He's collecting disciples. He's sort of quietly moving about Galilee and caring for people. Um, and there's a moment before he's done any miracles in public where his mom comes to him. They're at a wedding uh, with some with some other folks there. And his mom says, like, great tragedy. Uh, they're out of wine. What are we going to do? It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus has a plan. He has an agenda. He knows when he wants to do his first miracle. He knows when his time is to be public. He knows uh, when he wants people to know about his ability to uh, bring forth the kingdom with authority and with power. But somehow his mother kind of sidesteps him, but we don't know what the rest of this conversation was like. But she kind of just says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And she just does what, uh, what a classic mom does and says, well, this is going to happen anyway, son. And he didn't have to honor her. He didn't have to turn water into wine. He didn't have to do that. He was Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, mighty God of all creation. But he honored his mother with obedience 
And we have that first beautiful miracle, the wedding at Cana, where Jesus took uh, water and he turned it into wine and he blessed all of the guests in that place with wine better than that, which they, they had started with. Incredible uh, generosity and honor of Jesus. And we see this at the end. And it's amazing that Mary just walked with him through his whole journey. She followed his ministry, just quietly faithful and serving her son uh, to the age of 33. Uh, when he was finally crucified, she, she just kept loving and she kept caring and she kept being so faithful. Um, and at the cross, uh, these are some of the last words of Jesus, literally, while he's hanging on the cross, he sees his mother standing there. And the disciple whom he loved was standing nearby. These are Jesus' last thought. Woman, here is your son. Like, I'm passing you off. I can't care for you. I can't uh, shepherd you around the, the country. I can't uh, provide for you. I can't look after you in your old age. But I, my, my last concern, as I'm about to go to heaven, as I'm about to defeat evil forever, as I'm about to bear the sins of all humanity on the cross, my heart and my mind is to care for my mom. Now, Jesus didn't have to do that. He was King of Kings. He was Lord of Lords. He was father of all creation, but he honored the care of his mom by caring for her and caring for her needs. He honored her and we want to honor our moms in the same way. We want to see the beautiful things in them that are good and that are godly and give those things weight so that we might become like Jesus in her. So these are our three sort of prayer assignments uh, for uh, sort of ministry as we pray for our moms today as uh, you uh, navigate uh, your life today as you think about your mom. One, uh, we just want to repent of giving undue weight to the faults of our moms. Uh, we know they're not perfect. We know the Bible moms aren't perfect. But we want to uh, practice what Jesus commanded us to do. We want to release forgiveness to our moms. We want to uh, bless them. We want to not carry the weight of our hurts. We want the Lord to heal our hearts. Uh, so we want to diminish that weight of their faults through allowing forgiveness to happen, allowing our hearts to be healed. And we want to repent if we've been holding on to those faults of our moms and giving them weight and glorifying them. So I'm going to say a quick prayer around that, and then we'll hit the next thing. Father, we confess that we have... Uh, we have had undue criticism or sometimes ascribed too much weight to the brokenness of our, of our moms and of our dads. Um, we know they're not perfect. We see the imperfections. We felt the imperfections, Father, but we ask that you would release forgiveness so that you would set us free, so that you would set them free, so that uh, we could allow all of that to come under the blood of Christ to be healed and restored, and that we could move forward without carrying the weight of that criticism in ourselves without becoming the things that we criticized. We want to be free of that, Lord. So please do that work in our hearts. Amen. 
Amen. The second thing we want to do is you want to find something good and godly in your mother and honor it. And it might be just a trait uh, that you've noticed or something that you maybe, maybe you saw that all this time uh, you felt like your mom was nagging you, but really she was protecting you. And you can see those actions of hers in a new light. I want you to just take whatever that is. I'm going to just allow a moment of silence around that one. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and just say, okay, um, this is something that I want you to see of me in your mom that maybe you couldn't see before. And then I want you to give the goodness of God in your mom weight. And if she's in the room with you, you can just tell her what that is too. That would be a good thing to just bless her and honor her and, and to let those words come out of your mouth. But when we do that, we open ourselves to transformation. So I'm just going to allow a moment of silence for you to see that thing of godliness in your mother that maybe you haven't noticed or maybe you haven't honored before. And then I'm just going to pray. So let's just be silent for just 10 seconds. Father, I ask that you would show us something in our moms that we didn't see before. Father, we honor our moms. We celebrate them. We take the goodness that you have put in their lives and we celebrate it. We say thank you, Jesus, for our moms. Thank you, Jesus, for their protectiveness. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that they have waited on us time and time again. Thank you that they have provided for us. Thank you that they have cared for us. Thank you that they have walked faithfully with us. Thank you for so many other things in their lives. Would you cause us to see them in our specific moms, to lift them up, to honor them, to bless them, and to give that goodness of you that we see in them weight and give it weight that transforms us. We honor our moms. We say we need that kind of transformation. And then to close with just a third thought. Uh, we want to remember that as we're seeing uh, God's blessing uh, through our moms, that we're, we're actually just worshiping him, that we really are worshiping him. We really are honoring him. We really are giving him glory. Uh, we are so grateful for our parents and so grateful that they brought us into this world, so grateful that they uh, invested so much in us and then just gave us a way to spouses, gave us a way to careers, gave us a way to geography, moving all over the place. The generosity of them pouring into our lives and releasing us is amazing. Uh, but we recognize all of it as you and we give you glory and we give you honor. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.